All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 42 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, August the 21st, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank everyone who joined us last time with our guest, Warren Lawfer from the Mint 10 Fund. That was a great episode. Check that out on the on the Sports Cards Live and the Collectible YouTube channels. But let's get to this week's guest and bring him out. He's the Director of Sports Collectibles at Heritage Auctions, Chris Ivy, welcome to Collectible Live. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, you bet. It, it's it's great to have you. So we're going to start off this episode as we do with a bit of a discussion between the two of us, and then we will cover some of the IPOs that are on the Collectible platform this week. To everybody watching, welcome to the show. Please feel free to post your questions, comments in the chat. We'll get to as many of them as we can. But Chris, Let's start by getting to know you a little bit. How did you get started with sports collectibles um, in your earlier in your early life? Uh, you know, um, I still remember the first time I finished a soccer game, I think, with a buddy. And I was in second or third grade and uh, we went into a convenience store and uh, he showed me uh, some packs of garbage pail kids. Uh, I think it was around 1985. And so that was the first thing I bought. Um, and then the next thing I bought was a uh, 86 tops complete set. And then I was off to the races from there. I was having fun, you know, trading, finding out, you know, looking up values and started going to shows. And as you know, the, the mid to late eighties was a, was a big boom for sports collectibles. So there were shows every weekend and Dallas is the home of Beckett, uh, Beckett collectibles. My mom actually, uh, uh, drove me there when I was 13 years old so I could apply for a job. She likes to tell that story. <laughs> but I just grew up with this stuff. I loved it. I love sports. Um, I love learning about history of the game and love learning markets. So, you know, just trying to uh, – that's one of the great things about this industry is there's no there's no barriers to entry for kids. It's why it brings so many kids in. You've got the sports aspect, and then you've got, um, you know, the ability to trade and uh, and to learn about uh, the different collectibles and have fun with your friends. Right on. You know, you mentioned you had a love for history. And I think that uh, having a love for history is kind of what, what makes us collectors to a degree, or it's part of what makes us all collectors. And we like to go back and learn about things, sports, uh, printing technology, as far as cards go, uh, all sorts of things like that. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of heritage auctions? And, you know, with that, did your love of history help get you your job at Heritage? How long have you been there? And how did you come to work there? I think it, it, it certainly did help. Um, you know, Heritage has been around for, uh, you know, for over 50 years at this point. Um, actually, it's a, a bit of a family business. Um, my father started the company that eventually became Heritage when he was 13 years old. He was a coin collector and uh, and started putting ads in the back of, of um, you know, coin publications and buying and selling and that type of thing. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit runs in the runs in our blood as uh, as collectors. Um, I grew up and, and uh, you know, I never had interest in coins or currency, which, you know, all my years growing up, that's all Heritage was, was a coin company. Um, so I never thought I'd have any association with it. Um, and then, in, you know, so I would go to coin shows with my dad growing up and then I'd always go in the back corner and find the find the card tables and have fun there. Um, but, you know, as, as luck would have it uh, in the 90s, Heritage uh, developed an online bidding platform actually prior to eBay. Um, and we had the philosophy, they had the philosophy of providing as much information to collectors as possible. So very early on, we were putting things online for our collectors uh, for their information purposes and transparency that no other no other outlets were so it's like population reports um you know uh, uh grading aspects all those type of things so heritage became a very large coin company obviously and with that platform they started branching out into other collectible categories so personally after i was in school i started working for sgc sports card guarantee as a, as a you know uh, worked my way up in data entry then got my way into the grading room uh, learned how to uh, how to how to start grading and that type of thing. Came back to Heritage and started using their capital around the year 2000 to buy and sell. And then in 2003, I went to the executive group here to start Heritage Sports. And uh, so our first auction, our first catalog auction, was in 2004. We did just over two million that year. We've grown at least 20% every year uh, since then, and uh, and did almost 200 million in sales just for the sports division. Uh, last year so it's been a it's been nice growth over the last uh almost 20 years 
Yeah, that's a big number, 200 million. Congratulations on the growth. Uh, so you you started to head up Heritage Sport, the Heritage Sport Division 2004, as you said. How deep now is your department? How many people form the Heritage Sport Department? And what does a day in the life look like for you and your team? Uh, we've got 26 on staff now, and that includes uh, our consignment directors. Um, that includes our catalogers. And that includes our operations department. Um, and then we share resources with the rest of Heritage. So, um, you know, photography, uh, shipping, um, all those kind of back end things are shared re resources. But as far as the sports department goes, we're at 26 right now. Um, as far as a day in the life, uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, it can it can kind of be um, everyone has their specialties, um, but, uh, you know, we answer uh, hundreds of inquiries every day, um, you know, either phone calls or emails, um, a lot of stuff that, you know, we just provide, um, provide information for, for clients and for people that, that want to know, you know, kind of, Hey, I, I found these old cards. Are they worth anything? Or I have my grandfather played baseball and has this old Jersey. What kind of value would it have or signed autographs, that type of thing. So uh, we answer a lot of inquiries on that front and that's how we get a lot of material in the door, fresh material, which is what is always important for putting together good auctions. Um, and then on top of that, it's, it's relationships. Um, you know, our consignment directors uh, spend a lot of time talking to collectors around the globe and um you know helping them with their collections maybe seeking items that they're looking for uh via private treaty and all those conversations can lead to consignments and and a lot of collectors um you know if they're looking to buy something new uh they may sell a handful of pieces to pay for that it's a lot of uh, a lot of moving pieces so you know, if we help someone find a piece, then we may get, you know, a dozen pieces on consignment to help pay for that. So uh, all those different things uh, go into it. And then and then there's the day to day business stuff that's, uh, you know, obviously uh, deadlines, um, putting these auctions together uh, is always uh, stressful as we work towards those deadlines. And there's authentication and just so many moving parts. And especially these last two years have kept us really busy. I, every time that we have someone from one of the auction houses on Collectible Live, I always like to ask them, how do you continue to fill your auction catalog auction after auction? And you just explained a little bit about, you know, what your consignment directors are doing. But is it really as simple as that? Is it is it as simple as working your networking, your relationships? Or do you guys find yourselves having to get out there and really grind to find items? Is is it is it harder than it seems? Is it is is it easier than it seems? Can you shed a little bit of light on that for us? You know, there's there's um, there's different aspects that are it's definitely some aspects of it are easier than it used to be. And some aspects of it are harder now. And I'll explain that a little bit. Um, you know, we've gotten to a point uh, where where, you know, we've built up to a point where almost the snowball is rolling downhill a little bit now with with the great success we've had, the great marketing um the hundreds of thousands of results uh we have in our uh, in our database from previous auctions all that pops up in seo um so if someone googles you know ted williams game used bat a lot of times we'll, we're going to show up there right so if someone has something like that they oftentimes reach out to us and so that's a great way to get material in and then there's obviously you know leaning on the relationships that we have that i that i talked about a little bit earlier um you know and 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 collectors are always moving um you know there's always reasons that they may be selling um and, and so you know we obviously bring a lot to the table um for marketing collections and that's the beauty of the auction process is we're on the same side of the table with our consigners and it's it's our goal to to market this material to the widest possible audience and in the best way in order to generate the highest prices for our consigners so um you know it, it comes in it comes in from different ways, uh, but I will say it's more, you know, parts of it are more difficult now. And that that is uh, there's always been a lot of competition. I mean, when I started Heritage Sports in 2003, you know, Leland's was was big Mastro SCP hunt. They were all already in the market. So, um, you know, there's always been competition, but uh, but it competition continues to grow. We've got new uh, new new auction houses that have, that have jumped in the game here and uh, and so, yeah, there's, you know, we've got to compete against them and and uh, and do whatever we can to continue to bring material in the door. So it's fun. You know, it's, it just keeps it interesting. And, uh, it, you know, it, it'd be no fun if everyone just uh, 
you know, just showed up and dumped everything at the door. You got to compete for it and you got to, you got to work hard. And we certainly do here. Yeah. Good, good stuff. How many auctions do you guys have uh, in the sport department at Heritage every year? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we have 52 because uh, we have weekly auctions to close every Sunday night. Um, we've got six planned catalog auctions every year. So those pop up about every 60 days. And then we have dedicated auctions. So if we have, like we worked with uh, David Hall, uh, we did seven different catalogs for his T206 collection. Um, we've done uh, PSA set registry auctions for complete sets. And those are standalone catalogs as well. So at the end of the day, I think we're probably somewhere around you know 65 to 70 different auctions a year so it certainly keeps us busy yeah no doubt uh, i want to say hi to jake doll in the crowd bill betts welcome to the show brian adams good evening to you he'd like to know are you a collector yourself as well i am uh i grew up um I grew up collecting. I, I love this stuff. I, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I touched on, I was in the eighties. So, uh, you know, I was, I was going to shows, uh, just about every other weekend, I would say having my mom drive me and buddies around or riding with them, going to different shows and having fun with that. We actually had a national sports collectors convention here in Arlington, Texas in 1991 that I was at and, uh, had a lot of fun running around there as a kid. Um, so, yeah, at the time, you know, I was collecting the same thing. My favorite player was Don Mattingly growing up. So, um, you know, that, I, I went after a lot of Don Mattingly cards, but obviously it's Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, all that stuff. And then, which I, I, you know, I went through a process that I think a lot of uh, collectors go through, a lot of kids go through, which is, you know, I started learning about the history of the game and I started learning about Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And I was infatuated by those players. So, you know, as I got older, um, you know, and this is a common story. I think most most kids go through this. Most collectors go through this. You know, kind of got into high school, wanted to get a car, all that fun stuff. So, um, you know, I, I pretty much sold all of my all this all the stuff I had I had bought as a kid, and I I invested in two uh, two high grade. I went to a um, I forgot what the auction house. It was out in California, and um, um, I bought two high grade sets a 1956 top set and a 1963 top set. And I just put those away. Um, and those, those just sat in my parents' closet for, uh, for probably about 10 years until I pulled them out in my, in my, uh, in my twenties. But, um, as far as today, um, you know, I'm a big Nolan Ryan fan. I grew up in, in North Texas, Texas Rangers fan. You have to be a Nolan Ryan fan, huge Michael Jordan fan. Um, you know, uh, uh, so at, at this point I'm collecting, uh, signed rookies from the eighties, all the stuff I couldn't afford when I was a kid. So, you know, Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, um, uh, you know, Dennis Rodman, Troy Aikman, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., all that fun stuff. So I, I like signed rookie cards. And they're making a bit of a surge right now. What is your grail card? Uh, yeah. Business one, two forces. What's your grail card? One you would not sell. I think a, uh, I think a signed, a signed Jordan rookie. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we've got some killer ones in our auction right now, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would think, um, you know, probably, uh, probably 86 Fleer, probably 86 Fleer Jordan. I, you know, there, there's other signed Jordan, just stars, there's a star, there's this Nike, but 86 Fleer is, is iconic. That's a, uh, it's a great issue. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I just want to let the audience know because T-Docs asks, can the guests reset their video? Yeah, we we tried sort of before we went live and there's, I think Chris is just having some Wi-Fi or internet issues because um, I don't think there's much we can do about it right now, but uh, but we'll, we're just going to go with it and hopefully it'll, it'll work itself out. Chris, um, what I want to ask you was, you know, item, val item values have been increasing over across the board over the last couple of years with that have you noticed a change in the demographic of your customer at all are there more investors versus collectors now than before the boom of 2020 2021 without a doubt um I, I certainly think that's a big aspect of what we're seeing um it's not the only aspect i mean i think of what's going on over the last couple of years have been a convergence of a lot of different things um occurring at the same time um, but one of those things is 
uh, people viewing the sports collectibles market as an alternative asset, as somewhere that they can, um, you know, put an investment as part of their investments. I mean, I think a lot of people see uh, or felt that, um, you know, traditional investments like real estate and Wall Street were starting to get maxed out around 2019, 2020. And, uh, and so they were looking for alternative assets. And, you know, a, a lot of people, the people let the people that are, uh, you know, are in the age range uh, to, to the, the have the, the, the ability to start investing um, are around, you know, probably 35 to to 55 years old. And those are the guys that were around in the 80s we were talking about in the first card boom. So, you know, those people are naturally more comfortable and, and uh, you know, more uh, interested in cards than they would be maybe in, in other more traditional investments like uh, like art or something along those lines. So we've definitely seen a lot of growth. I also think the, um, the, the value, the prices that we're seeing, I think as as items get more valuable, um, it, it, it attracts um, certain types of investors. And I think we certainly saw that um, with the, let's use the 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie, for example. Um, I think it was around 2016 um, where that, that card started hitting half a million uh, in PSA 8. And that was a big threshold uh, hitting that level. And I think it, uh, I think it drew the interest of of a lot of people that saw it as an investment opportunity and i think we're about to you know cross another threshold uh this weekend when when we we're going to sell that uh 52 um sgc 9.5 the rosen uh fine mantle i think that's going to break the threshold of the be the first item in our in our hobby that's going to break 10 million and i think that's going to it's going to generate a lot of press and it's going to again generate interest from outside the hobby and and from investors that uh that may join in we were talking about that mantle the other day, and I know uh, I know the whole hobby's talking about it. So let's let's take a stab at what we think this card is going to sell for, to the extent that you're able to discuss that. Uh, um, I believe what's it at right now? Um, I think the it's at six point six five hammer right now, so you know, almost eight million all in. So, do you have any guesstimates as to where you think this is going to end all in? So our, our estimate on it uh, is 10 million plus, and obviously that's a wide range. Um, you know, we, we obviously talk to a lot of clients and, um, and we know that there's a lot of interest out there. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think, I think the most likely range it'll end in is maybe 12 to 15 million, something in there. But I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see this uh, approach or maybe even surpass 20 million. I mean, I think it's got, it's got all the elements there of just, you know, great rarity, great provenance, an amazing story, um, and, and something that I think whoever ends up buying it is is going to make, you know, has the ability to make money on it the day after. I think whatever it sells for, they'll be able to make money on it. And it's the type of piece that I call it the rule of Wagner. Uh, I've never known anyone who's lost money on buying a Honus Wagner card. I've never seen it. Um, there's only, you know, there's only a few dozen of them between 60 and 70 Wagner cards. Um, there's thousands of people putting together T206 sets around the world, um, that, that, that desire that card. And I think, you know, this, the mantle rookie kind of crosses over and it's not just sports collectible, but it's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pop art. It's, it's pop culture. Um, it's something that people recognize the entire generation. Uh, recognizes it as uh, as kind of the the card. So um, you know, I think this is the type of piece that whoever ends up owning it, there's going to be someone that comes into the market down the road, and they're going to be able to name their number uh, down the road and uh, and sell it for a good number. So you know, if someone's got that type of money and they're interested in cards, I I couldn't recommend it more. Well, T. Dot Jones is guessing 12.5 million all in based on the last. PSA nine that sold and that 28 million was turned down for a 10. And um, yeah. it, it's a tough one. I, I've been saying 11 million has been my guess, but I, I think that might be a little bit low, but I'm going to stick with that. We'll see who knows. It, like you said, 10 million plus is a wide range. It's, it's a, it's a super wide range, but I wouldn't be surprised if it sells for 20 million. I guess we will right. we'll find out in a couple of weeks. It's definitely going to be interesting. What is, for your customers, what is the most important thing right now for them as far as, 
investing, collecting in, in sports cards? Uh, you know, is it condition? Is it scarcity? Is it, uh, is it making a headline? Is it, what, what do you think? What's important to your customers right now? And has that, has that changed over the last few years? I don't think it's really, I think it, I think it's, you know, I think that stays pretty consistent. I mean, what's important to customers and it, it, it really runs the gamut. It's, um, you know, they, they want, they want fair and honest transactions. They want, um, you know, good images, good descriptions, fast shipping. Um, you know, uh, as far as the, the market goes, um, they want information. Um, you know, they want population data. They want, previous access to prices realized so that they can, um, you know, they can, you know, evaluate items that they've got or items that they may be interested in, uh, in our auction or others. Um, so, you know, all, all of the above really, um, you know, as far as what to collect for, for investors, I mean, I always say collect what you like, you know, what, you know, what, what you have interest in. Um, and that's one of the fun things about this is if you keep your, you know, if you keep your, your, your ears out and your eyes out, you can find stuff. You can find stuff that, uh, you know, that, 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 um, you know, that, that sold in an auction last week for 1200 bucks. You may go to a show or see it, you know, still on someone's website being offered for 600 bucks somewhere else. And I mean, that's, uh, that's the fun thing about this market. There's so many different marketplaces. There's eBay obviously, and, and auction houses. So as a collector, um, you know, you can spend time, um, you, you can spend time just really learning all aspects of the business. There's still, there's still money to be made out there. There's still things being sold in marketplaces that haven't gone through the process of being photo matched yet. Um, I have, you know, I know clients that have bought bats that are just, um, sold as a, you know, 1960s Willie Mays game used bat, which is no, you know, it, 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 it's not cheap, you know, it's probably a four a five figure item but um they've done their research and they've been able to get it photo matched and that you know that four to five figure investment um you know they made may turn into high five figures or even six figures sometimes depending on the the item so uh you know dig in there's so much to learn there's so much still uh you know when when i when i got into this business you know photographs had virtually no value um original people didn't know type one wasn't even a designation yet photos were being thrown in for deals as extras like oh i'm getting ready just take these you know literally for free and we're going to have one in our auction uh that's going to close uh this saturday night a ty cobb photo the original photo that was used for his uh for his 1914 cracker jack card and it's probably going to sell for over three hundred thousand. it's incredible it's something that just you know that that you know 20 years ago had no intrinsic value or virtually none. And now it's going to be, you know, mid six figures. And, and that, that's still happening. You know, there's still emerging markets. One of them being, um, you know, graded magazines, um, you know, um, graded video games that are, that are hot and some other stuff in, in other departments. It's not just sports collectibles, but that's what I think is exciting is that it's an always evolving market and there's so much for people to dig into and learn in these different uh, in these different uh, collectible categories, you know, you just mentioned these other categories. Thomas Peterson wanted to ask, "What trends do you see in the auctions, cards, memorabilia, different sports? Is there anything else you can add to what you just said, or is that kind of your thought on on current trends in the in the industry right now?" You know, uh, I, I think the I think the the easiest trend is is to really look at what kids were into 20 to 30 years ago and go forward on that. So, you know, that's why we're seeing video games now. That's where a lot of these cards and, 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 and whatnot, you know, the player, Derek Jeter and, and, and those type of players. Um, so, you know, whoever's, whoever's the, you know, um, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh was, was huge for kids uh, 20 years ago. I, I, you know, that's going to start getting more and more popular. We're seeing it with Pokemon cards and, and that type of thing as well. So, you know, that's certainly uh, a trend to keep an eye out on as far as uh, investment. Um, um, but again, I mean, there's a lot of ways to approach it, too. You know, you can collect what you like and what you what you have the most interest in. You can collect for investment purposes or you can you can mesh both of those as well and uh, and do both. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people buy stuff to, to trade and and to make money on to help fund their, you know, their collection of stuff that they would never really sell.
Yeah, for sure. Why don't you tell us about a few of the items that have come through your auction house that have set records uh, along the way or, or, you know, or that you're really proud of? What are some of the biggest headliners over the last couple of years that come to mind for you guys? Um, you know, I think I think one of the favorite one of my favorite pieces that we ever sold was in 2017. And it was uh, the only known Jackie Robinson uh, jersey from his 1947 season when he broke the color barrier. That was photo matched. Uh, it sold for just over two million at the time. We resold it, you know, fairly quickly after that to uh, to one of the other one of the other bidders on that lot that was disappointed that he didn't take it home. Um, and, and so that you know, it's it's sitting in in one of the best collections in the world right now. But that's again one of those type of piece pieces where I talked about the mantle card. I mean, eventually, if this piece ever does sell, it's going to sell for, um, you know, at this point. It's probably a $10 million item, the way that this market's gone. Um, you know, I, I don't think – so if someone's trying to put together one of the best best jersey collections in the world, getting a rookie, Jackie Robinson, uh, is, is is right there. Um, knocks, you know, knocks off one of the uh, Mount Rushmore's there. So uh, that that's a cool one uh, that we that we definitely sold. Um, you know, I love game-worn, game-used bats. Um, we've had a lot of uh, an amazing uh, cards. I'm, I'm trying to think of um, – We've had some really neat, you know, kind of stories. One of my favorite stories is a, uh, a Norman Rockwell that we sold. It's a, uh, it was gifted to uh, an umpire uh, named Beans Reardon who helped him, um, who helped him, uh, who posed for him for the painting and actually helped Rockwell do it. And there was a, a, f- a family in Austin that called us and um, they thought they had a print. So they're like, oh, you know, Rockwell sent my my grandfather a print of this famous painting that he did called, um, um, what was it called? Tough Call. And it was the cover of Saturday Evening Post. And it's the umpire with his hand out and he's looking at the rain and he's trying to decide if he's going to, you know, call the game for rain or not. And a uh, very famous painting. The real one's actually in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Um they thought they had a print and they had sent us an image of it and it was signed, you know, to beans Reardon from Rockwell. And we looked at it and we noticed that there were some differences between the print and this print that they thought they had. And we asked them to, you know, kind of tilt it, take it off the wall and ask if they could see brush strokes. And they said, yeah, it looks like there are brush strokes on it. And, um, you know, we had to bring it in for auction. Uh, we, it was a, you know, not the final product. It's, it's what was called a, uh, a study. Uh, for the final. And, um, you know, we estimated it for auction at 200 to 300,000 range. And uh, it went into extended bidding at, I think, right around 260,000 or so. And it ended up selling for almost 1.8 million. Um, You know, that's the, that's the beauty uh, of auction when you get, when you get a, you know, just get a a one of a kind piece like that um, with great background, great provenance, and it's kind of you know it combines sports collectibles and art, obviously, and uh, and and to go you know it, it goes to a wonderful family that helped them out uh, down in Austin as well. So all good things. That's that's what that's what the really fun thing about this business is 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 helping people that you know maybe have inherited a piece or they don't know what they have and they're still the you know, we still see the the garage sale finds and the storage locker finds that that come to us on a on a fairly regular basis. So, um, you know, those are those are great stories and they're interesting. Definitely. Well, with that, let's after just kind of talking about some of the items that have come through the your business. Uh, Timeless Cardboard wants to know what the card or item that Heritage has not yet sold that you would like to have go through your auction site. Just pick one if you can. Hmm. Hmm. Um. You know, we sold a Babe Ruth game-worn jersey back in 2006, and it was photo-matched. It was a pinstripe, and he wore it in the 33 All-Star game in which he hit a home run. That's the jersey he was wearing in that game. And I think at the time it sold for, you know, maybe maybe 750000 You know, it was a great number in, in 2006, but uh, we haven't had a Ruth jersey come back through uh, since then. And um, – Man, that that would be that would be incredible. Uh, you know, I, I just think uh, I think the market is right for that type of piece to come through, um, and, and it'd be a lot of fun. I mean, obviously Ruth is the king, so 
Um, yeah. Personally, I'd love to see a, I'd love to see a, like a Michael Jordan rookie uniform come through. We had the opportunity to, to, um, to sell his, um, his only known um, University of North Carolina jersey last year, uh, photo matched. And uh, that was really cool. I think that sold for just uh, about 1.4 million. Very cool piece. So uh, I'm a huge Jordan fan, obviously. So I yeah. love that one. Right on. I'll say a good evening to you, Jenny Miller. Uh, when when this when the Mickey Mantle SGC 9.5 does sell in a couple of weeks at well at you know assuming over 10 million, I think we can make that assumption. Brian Adams has this question that you don't often think about, but how do you ship that, or how do you transfer the card to the owner? A bubble mailer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. Uh... We, we we have an agreement. We use uh, arm carriers. So, uh, you know, Brinks and there's some other services. Uh, so just like you'd be shipping, um, you know, you know, kind of a white glove, fine art or, uh, you know, uh, high grade coins and that type of thing. Um, you know, certainly we're doing a lot more of that in the last few years than we used to. Um, which is a good thing for the hobby, I think, across the board. But uh, but yeah, this is going to be uh this is going to be, uh, you know, hand delivered by a gentleman with help with firearms. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Another question here from T. Dot. Lots of new money coming into the hobby, into the industry over the last couple of years. Where do you think it's coming from? Um. So you know, I touched on this a little bit. There's a lot of investment um, people you know, investment minded people getting in the hobby. And I think it is for a lot of reasons. I've touched on it. Part of it is I think the people that are doing the investing, I think they're comfortable with sports collectibles. They like them. They grew up in the eighties. They probably went to shows. Um, you know, they like it, but uh, it's not just that. I, I think, um, like I said, tradi more traditional investments are, uh, are maxed out. There's another aspect of it that I think, you know, people see inflation coming. We're starting to see that happen now, but people, people were predicting that for a couple for a few years now one way to hedge against inflation is to buy hard assets and that's exactly what we're selling so you don't want you don't want to be holding cash when inflation is happening you want to be holding hard assets that are also um, growing in value so i think that's why we're seeing a lot of people getting in um and, and i think you know sports collectibles you know back in the 80s 90s uh it used to be more of the wild west there was a lot more there's a there's there still is there's a lot of fraudulent material out there you have to be very diligent um you have to buy from trusted sources you have to buy authenticated material um but i think we're we're getting to a point where it's the, the, that trust has built to a level where people understand they understand the grading services that are established they understand the authentication services um, you know, they understand uh, photo matching now is a, is a big thing. So all of those things, they give comfort. And then, and then there's the comfort of, of, you know, just a company like Heritage or, or Collectible. But, you know, Heritage has been around for, for going on 50 years now. We deal in 40 different categories and have over 2 million clients around the world. We stand behind what we sell. And, and that's very important for, for these types of collectibles and for people to feel that comfort level so they're, they're comfortable spending um big money on these type of items all right i want to change the topic i i want to ask you about and this is a sensitive topic but it's one that i'm interested in just discussing and hearing different people's rationales for or opinions and thoughts and it really has to do with you know several types of collectibles what you know art is a great example books comics collectors in those within those categories are are quite okay with those items being restored vehicles, you know, mm -hmm. there's no problem there with restoration of those sorts of items. When it comes to sports cards, we don't like our cards to be restored at all. And I just wondered, yeah. because you've been around, you've been around 20 years in, in the sports uh, collectibles business now, talk to a lot of high-end collectors. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that sports card collectors are, are the one group of collectors that don't like and not only don't like it's it's criminal it's criminal if somebody mm -hmm. restores a card and doesn't disclose it so what are your thoughts on that why is that the way it is well i think because at this point um i i think it's a it, it's an it's it's about um transparency i i think that they don't no piece should be should be restored without an understanding by both parties that the piece has been restored. And so I think, I think that's why it works in comics. 
Um, and, and, you know, movie posters is another one. They, 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 they restore those all the time. They put them on linen backing, they get rid of the creases, but people that are buying it understand this piece has been restored. It's been linen back, uh, in comics, they, you know, the CGC and the, the authentication companies, they put a different label on comics that have been restored. Uh, and so the buyer, the collector understands that this is a restored piece. It gives them an opportunity to buy a piece that they want. They don't have to pay, you know, the piece that been, the the price of non-restored. So I think it's the it's the it's the aspect of people doing it, altering cards, and then and then the piece never being disclosed as being altered. And so people think that they're buying an original unrestored piece, and that's that's the that's the rub. But you're right. I mean, just card collectors in general, they disdain they have disdain for the idea of altering cards i do too like that's a as a collector you don't you just know you don't alter a card that's you know it's it's uh um but but i do think you know with what we're seeing in this market i think if it were and i'm certainly not advocating for that but i, I just think it's a if, if if it's if it's if it's known and both parties are aware of it then both can make an educated decision on what they feel the true market value of the piece is as a restored card or as an altered card but yeah for for you know card collectors um you know have never have never wanted anything uh restored or altered in any way and, and the stuff that is sells as you see on the in the market and it's more if it's if it's in an altered holder um you know it sells for uh, for a fraction of, of what it uh of what a non-altered piece does as it should because there's less people that are interested in buying it and especially and, and but there's and again you we touched on you know game use bats those are uh you know th those get refinished and and that market is fine with it it's interesting so there's some some aspects of the market where uh where items are uh are restored or cleaned and uh but but cardboard is not one of them um but i do think um at some point down the road um there there it will be it will be noted more than just as an altered grade. I, I think that they will, I think one of the grading services will figure out how to do what CGC is doing in comics and they'll be able to detect alterations. They'll note it. And those alterations, specific alterations will be noted on the, on the holders and it'll just be a different aspect of the market. Yeah. Well, I think that's well said. I think that, that makes a lot of sense to me. It really disclosure is the most important thing when it comes to that. So, and then it's up to the buyer to decide if they're willing to welcome a, a piece that has been disclosed as altered or restored into their collection, regardless of what the collectible is, including sports cards. So, you know, you, you can, a, a nicely, a, a nice PSA authentic, uh, you know, altered Mickey Mantle 52 tops will still do very well on the secondary market. So, uh, timeless cardboard here says, I love the ripped in half Wagner. It's all original for sure. I remember that card was, that was a very interesting one that came, came, came through the hobby not too long ago. I want to ask you now, um, a combination question, Chris. So first of all, what does the future of the hobby look like to you from your perspective? And with that is right now a good buying opportunity in your opinion? Uh, so I think the future of the hobby is, is, uh, it, it looks strong. I think we have a good foundation. I think, um, I mean, no market, no market goes up indefinitely, right? There's always going to be corrections and downturns. Um, so, you know, that, that, that'll certainly, you know, that'll happen without a doubt, but I do think that we have a good foundation. I think, I think sports collectibles, I think we're lucky in a lot of ways that, um, sports is such a big part of our culture and our everyday life that you know generations grow up and you know um you know your father was a, a cubs fan so you're a cubs fan or your father was a new york giants fan so you you love the new york giants football team um you know and there's always a new generation of stars um when i grew up it was you know jose canseco and um you know don mattingly and and when our parents grew up it was mickey mantle and hank aaron and today it's Mike Trout and, uh, um, you know, and, and Aaron Judge. Um, so those those athletes and, and those sports, I mean, they're bringing in a whole new generation. There's always a new generation coming in. And there's part of those generations that have this collectible bug that we have um, that I love that, uh, you know, makes you uh, makes you want to collect and, and have fun in this hobby. And, and so, you know, 
some people get in and they get out and they have fun with it when they're when they're kids and some people stay in it some people take that opportunity to learn about the history of the game and learn about um, babe ruth and and lou gehrig and jimmy fox and the like um so you know i think that i think that sports collectibles are in a much better place than than some other collectibles like stamps for example which is um you know um yeah, it, it is not, you know, there's not a lot of young blood in, in the stamp collecting community. And so, uh, you know, I think I think sports is, is built on a great foundation. And, and I think it's interesting that a company like Collectors Universe that was built on coins, um, you know, and uh, they they would have thought it was unheard of that, that that company sold. And the primary primary valuation when Collectors Universe went private was based on the sports side. And I think that was a, a big shift in our uh, in, in collectibles as a whole and in our hobby as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned stamps and I, I've been thinking about that. You know, when I was in uh, New York a couple of weeks ago, there were like 20 sports channels in the maybe that was actually that was Atlantic City during the during the National Atlantic City. I would turn on the TV when I get back to my room. And the first 20 channels were sports channels. I'm not familiar with there being the stamp channel. I've never seen a stamp channel. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of it comes down to is, is media and attention and stardom uh, to, you know, to, to the subject matter. And sports definitely gets it where stamps and coins, for that matter, don't as much. You'll see them off, you know, once in a while on the History right. Channel or on Pawn Stars, that kind of thing. But you don't really, you don't hear about them in mainstream media all that often. Um T. Dot wanted to know what do you estimate the tops PSA ten Wayne Gretzky rookie to fetch? I believe that's on your platform. Yeah, it is. That's closing uh, next Saturday night as well with a mantle card. Um, we sold. Uh, we sold. There's there's two PSA tens and there's two OPG tens. Um, when we sold the previous PSA ten two years ago, I think it went for just under eight hundred thousand. Our estimate on this one is a million plus. I think it'll probably be probably somewhere between 1.2 and 1.5 million. That's my estimate on that. Um, Me too. You know, what we're seeing here. 1.4 is my guess on that. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's that's probably a a good guess. I may be a little conservative on that. You know, I I would say that part of what we're seeing in the last couple of years with the popularity and the growth of the market, the growth – of what we call the greatest of all time type players has been exponential for, for other, other players. So, you know, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky is obviously in that group, Tom Brady, uh, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, uh, Muhammad Ali included, and, and even some, you know, tennis and soccer people in there as well and golf, but like Tiger Woods. Um, so anyone that fits in that goat category, which Gretzky obviously does, he's, he's, you know, maybe more so than any other athlete in any other sport, it's clear and cut that he's the greatest of all time. Um, you know, then then the sky's the limit as far as their growth. So, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting one to see where that one closes out. Yeah, right on. Okay. We've got lots of other great comments and questions coming through, but we're going to run out of time. And I definitely want to have a look at a few of the items that are on the collectible platform this week. And I'm going to get, I'm going to ask you a question on each of them. But before we do that, I do want to get your opinion on what are your thoughts on fractional investing and where it fits into the overall hobby landscape today and in the future. Yeah, so fractional is interesting. I mean, it's something that um, you know before before you know a couple of years ago, I had I had not heard of that uh, as an option in in our field. But anything that allows um, people to get involved in the hobby and learn about it, and um, I think is a great thing. So. You know, fractional is just another way for people to invest in in different really cool pieces of memorabilia that um, that a lot of times they may not be able to afford on their own and in, in, in a general auction platform. But um, you can still have the opportunity to invest in that type of piece through a, through a company like Collectible. And do you do you find is there any sort of relationship between the auction houses or well, I'll let you speak for yourself between heritage and a collectible. Like, are you finding some assets might go from one platform to the other at all, or is it more just another option? Like, you know, you can make an offer to collectible for any asset that's trading on their platform to, for, as a buyout. 
And some mm-hmm. people might do that and then try and sell it somewhere else. How do you think, like, because your clients are collect- collectors, investors, they're buying items off, off of, you know, from Heritage, from other auction houses. Do you think that the people that are buying items from a fractional ownership company like Collectible are doing it to hold it in their collection after or maybe look to sell it through an auction house later on? Is there any anything there? You know, we've definitely seen some pieces that we've sold um, that have, you know, ended up in in um, in a, a situation in, in like a collectible offering. Um, and I certainly think that they could, you know, it's a different platform that can allow when you like anything, if you if you use the power of multiple people and, and bring them together, um, you know, it, it, it can elevate things. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an it's an interesting idea to allow people to to participate in the market and, and to own a piece of these unique pieces, um, you know, and and, uh, and and people that wouldn't be able to to do that otherwise. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, as far as someone I haven't dealt with someone purchasing something out of uh, out of collectible yet and then taking it to auction. I think that's a little risky. I think that. I think if you were to do that, you kind of you're, you've got it for the long play. I think you're buying yeah. that because you want to own that particular piece and keep it in your collection. Um, with the with the obvious belief that no one wants to lose money, right? They're buying that with the with the belief that um, the mark that that piece is going to continue to to grow in value, and at one point down the road, they will be able to sell it for a profit. And I think that the customer base between a collectible and a heritage is going to be. Uh, a little bit different in that, you know, when you buy something from Heritage, you have to buy 100% of the item, unless you're buying it with a partner, but that's, you know, that's between you guys, right? Or between those guys. Whereas with collectible, you can come in and buy a piece of a million dollar item for 10 or $25, depending on what the share price is. So probably a bit of a difference in customer base, unless somebody who wants to buy 100% of an item also says, well, you know what, I do want to pick up this very rare item on collectible and just buy a, a few shares, 50 shares for $500 sort of thing. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. And I do think it's a different type of collector. I mean, I do think it's a more investment minded collector, which is the collector that we see, um, you know, that's, that's been joining our, our market, our, our industry in the last few years. So, um, you know, it's certainly more of an investment uh, minded collector that's participating in, in in that type of platform and it gives them the opportunity to uh to kind of spread it out you, you can spread your investments across to different different sports different types of collectibles different different genres yeah. so yeah. Exactly. uh yeah it's, it's certainly interesting thank you to timeless cardboard for that comment uh great to have you tuning in so let's take a look at some of these assets that are trading these assets these collectibles that are trading on the collectible platform there's four of them we're going to look at chris We'll get through them pretty quick, but there's some cool pieces here. And we have looked at a couple of these before, but they are still uh, or they are in um, early access right now. So the first one we want to look at is this Carlton Fisk. This is the iconic Waves at Fair home run ball from the 75 World Series game six that he hit for a walk off home run uh, to win the World Series. Major League Baseball, Chris, they voted this as the they voted the game to be the greatest game in history. So I have two questions for you. Two questions. First question is how important is it when you're looking at a at a game, uh, sorry, at an autographed baseball or even a a game used baseball? How important is it to be able to attribute it to a specific moment in the game or a specific game? And with that, do you agree that that was the most uh, or the greatest game in history? Um. I will say moment pieces that are related to a specific moment. I think it's very important. I mean, as far as interest and, um, and value, um, you know, pieces that, uh, I mean, look at Kirk Gibson, you know, the 1988 world series, um, you know, that, that home run to, uh, you know, to, to, to win that game for the Dodgers. That's an iconic moment that millions of people remember where they were when it happened. Um, and, and, and you see that in the, in the price realized for that. We, we actually had the opportunity to sell Kurt Schilling's bloody stock from the 2004, um, Red Sox world series. I mean, that's, uh, an incredible piece of random memorabilia, a sock, right. But it's, it, it was, uh, it was viewed 
and that moment was uh, was such an important moment for Red Sox fans around the world um, that that uh, that bloody sock sold for. I forgot what it was. It's been a long time now, but I know it was it was either at six figures or right right close to six figures. Um, pretty incredible. Um, you know, we all, we sold the uh, the also sold the shard of the bat that Mike Piazza um, broke and Roger Clemens picked up in that Subway series and flung back at him. I think that was hmm. two thousand. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, this is an incredible baseball, um, and and people people remember, you know. Carlton Fisk, you know, maybe, you know, jumping and, um, you know, and, and, and trying to, trying to keep it fair. Um, yeah, just incredible, just incredible piece. And, uh, something like this people, again, that, that moment, it just plays in people's mind and, and, uh, makes them want to own a piece of it. So that's a, it's a perfect piece for this type of thing. Yeah. It's definitely a moment sort of piece. So a few pictures of the ball itself, a couple of letters of authenticity and, uh, that to some documentation to go along with it. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I just want to let some few people know about the, the, the ball did sell in 2014 for $142,000. And Collectible does note in their offering detail that Fisk's rookie card values are up 250% since then. So a bit of a, a comp, if you will. I always recommend people go to the Collectible platform and have a look at all the information that is contained within each offering. Some great stuff there. Uh, as a comparison for game-used balls, the Bill Buckner ball from the 86 World Series sold for $418,000 in 2012. For this offering specifically here, the Carlton Fisk ball, 0% of the equity is being retained by the consigner. It is being offered at a market cap of $280,000, and it is available to purchase shares in early access right now. Let's go to the next item that we're going to look at. And we were talking about magazines a little bit earlier, Chris. You've mentioned them, and that's the, the timing couldn't be better. I love this offering because I'm a hockey guy. I love Gretzky in an Oilers jersey. Look how young he is here with the hair. You can tell it's an old issue of, of Sports Illustrated. And it's his first cover. This is from 1981. This particular magazine has been graded by cgc 44 times only one copy is graded higher i believe there's one other one that was that grades out at a 9.4 something else chris that i just learned today when i was looking at this item is that this is a newsstand version versus a subscription right. copy this is subscription copy this is new vernacular for me uh you know as i'm not a magazine collector to to, to discern as these collectors do between newsstand and subscription. I think that's pretty neat. I'm glad to be in tune with that right now. My question for you on this one, Chris, is are magazines like Sports Illustrated starting to catch on more with collectors? And are the buyers more or less memorabilia guys or card guys or something, some sort of hybrid? Uh, so that's a, it's a good question. I, I definitely think it's a, it's a hybrid of both, right? I mean, this is a great piece. These are amazing pieces to buy um, as a as a supplement piece, if you had a Gretzky jersey, right? If you have an Oilers jersey, what better supplement to have than have a picture of Gretzky uh, wearing that style jersey uh, next to it? And so, and then you've got the element of the grading, which I think is what brings in the card collectors. Um, you know, this this one looks like it's graded nine point four, which is one of the highest grades you can get. Um, and so, you know, that allows people to put together registries um, for their favorite. Maybe Sports Illustrated, maybe or maybe their favorite athlete, um, and put together the highest graded uh, versions they can. And we've seen how how uh, how well high grade material performs as opposed to mid grade when it comes time to resell. So um, people that are looking for an investment level piece, you always buy the best you can afford. Um, and so this certainly fits in that category in this grade. For sure, for sure. So. Again, for this item on the collectible platform, 0% is being retained by the consigner. It is being offered at a market cap of $37,500. And it is in early access now. Regular offering starts August 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, for me, when it comes to these magazines, Chris, you know, even back in the... You think about the difference between sports cards. Even once we started to realize that sports cards had value and that you need to protect them, magazines didn't have that same sort of behavior attached to it you would still read your your sports illustrated each week and pretty much just toss it or share it or you know you didn't really weren't really worried about the condition and i think that's why we're seeing you know this is the organic scarcity 
that uh, natural scarcity that we've that we see with vintage sports cards coming through in magazines now. And um, it's new to me, but uh, I do love this piece. And uh, I'll be honest, though, the price seems high to me, but I don't know the market. Thirty seven thousand five hundred seems high to me, but maybe that's what it should be. And uh, I guess we'll know once this thing sells through. So or and I don't know about any comps, but uh, do you know any comps? Do you know what? Like, uh, do you have any experience with expensive magazines being sold and Sports Illustrated? Really? Yeah, um, we've, we've definitely sold some. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have a good good idea of any like comps though, but I can look some up for you here. Um, but why don't you move on to the next piece and I'll see, and I'll, I'll see what I can track down on, yeah. uh, on CBC yeah. graded. That's Sports cool. I appreciate that. We'll come back to that. While you're doing that, I want to buzzy. Just wanted to shout out uh, their heritage account rep, Rob Rosen, the very best and an asset to the hobby. That's a very nice comment, buzzy. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next item that I want to address, and that is this one here. So these are we did talk about these a couple of weeks ago, but these are the 1985 Nike Air Jordan ones. This is a dead stock player sample pair with the original box. Now, this shoe is considered to be the most iconic and influential snoo shoe in sneaker history. I think that's pretty cool. One shoe is a size 13. The other one is a 13 and a half as Jordan's feet aren't the same size. There's a letter at, from the original owner of these who actually worked for Nike at the time. Uh, this one right here, which is from Bob Wood, who again, worked for Nike and wrote this letter to Brom, who was at Brom Walker from Sotheby's who was actually on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. So a pretty cool piece right here. Uh, being this pair of shoes with all sorts of uh, photos available on the on the collectible platform for you all to check out. Um, there are some comps on these. Uh, Heritage, uh, Chris's company, sold a pair February 2022 for $117,000. December 20, 2021, uh, Gray Flannel sold a pair for $140,000. And in October 2021, this exact pair sold for $101,000 at Sotheby's. Um, Chris, you know, you've sold this shoes just like this. How desirable is yep. this pair of shoes uh, for you and, and 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 your clients? Well, I don't think it gets any more desirable than than Jordan ones. I mean, these were Jordan ones were the the sneaker. I mean, I, you know, I call that the you know for sneakerheads. This is a fifty-two tops mantle. This is uh, you know for hockey collectors. This is an OPG Gretzky rookie. This is the best of the best, and and it spawned. You know the player-driven, um, you know sneaker market, and and what we're seeing today, where they're still coming out with different color, um, different color. I mean, you've got the Jumpman as its own, it has, has veered off into be its own Nike brand uh, that, that that represents players like Luka Doncic. So it all started here um, with the with the Air Jordan ones, and so you know uh, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time um, by most. You know, that's always a healthy debate, LeBron James or Michael Jordan, but uh, but old school guys uh, love Jordan. And especially you can't you can't uh, you can't debate the sneaker uh, king. And that, that certainly is are, are these Air Jordan ones. So you can't go wrong uh, investing in a piece like this because um, it's always, you know, and it's not only sports collectible, but it is that little bit of uh, sneakerhead collectible. So you've got two different uh, two different types of collectors kind of. Um, converging on this type of piece right yeah makes sense so on the platform the consigner is retaining 9.1 percent equity in this offering it's being offered at a market cap of 126,750 dollars and you know unlike the the last item that seems low to me but again i'm not a sneakerhead. but if you're saying this is the 52 tops mantle of the sneaker world this was a this was a player ready sort of sample uh, that seems cheap to me, even though we're talking, you know, hundred and uh, over one hundred twenty-five thousand um, dollars. In any event, shares of this item are available in early access on the collectible platform as we speak. So, if anyone is interested, please go ahead and uh, make your play. Grab a grab a unit or two, or ten or a hundred or whatever it is of these shoes. They are definitely pretty cool in my opinion, at least. So um, we will leave that one at that for now. And then we'll look at the final item, Chris, that we're going to look at. And then we'll come back to the to the magazine discussion. But that is this guy right here. 2016 LeBron James game-worn Cleveland Cavaliers jersey. 
I mean, it's special. Any, I would say any game-worn LeBron jersey is, is pretty special, but this one was worn on December 13th, 2016 versus the Memphis Grizzlies. LeBron scored 23 points, had eight assists, six rebounds, three steals. Not a bad stat line right there for LeBron James. Now, this item is photo matched by resolution photo matching, and it does come with a letter of authenticity from My Gray. Let's take a look at some of these other pictures we have here, the front, the back. There's a zoom in on the tag. Now you've got the photo matching from Resolution where you can see they are taking an image that they found and then they're taking the actual item and matching up markings on the jersey. And I really like these zoomed in images. We've got several of them. There he is wearing the jersey. There's the um, a letter uh, a letter of authenticity from My Gray. There's Resolution photo matching, putting their marking on it. And, uh, and and so forth. So a pretty cool item overall. This exact jersey was sold on gray flannel auctions in December 2021 for $77,300. But that was before it was photo matched. So Chris, let's talk about photo matching for a moment. And how have the advancements in photo matching affected the auction business and, and you guys in particular? Photo matching has changed the game quite a bit. It is... Um... You know, for and you can just see that in the prices realized for these type of pieces. Um, you know, there's there's authentication, there's standard authentication. You know, you can you you can send it off and and they can provide an opinion for a vintage jersey based on you know exemplars and the you know and and uh, and, and all the different things that they research and they do great job. They do great research, but if a piece is photo matched, you can almost throw all that other stuff out the wind out the door because. Once it's photo matched, you have it on the player's back in action. It doesn't get any – it's the pinnacle for a collector of that's what they want. This is a picture of the athlete using this bat or wearing this jersey in this specific game where he hit a home run or where he, you know, set a record or scored, you know, in this case, uh, 23 points and had a very, you know, a LeBron-like game with, uh, with you know, rebounds and uh, and assists. And, uh, and, and, and so – um, you know, as far as collectors are concerned, that's now the the gold standard is photo matching for these type of pieces, and and we've seen that again in the in the prices realized for um, you know for these type of pieces. Um, you know, I think uh, we sold. Um, speaking of basketball jersey, we sold um, Magic Johnson's 1980 uh, NBA Finals jersey, uh, Game Six, where he where Kareem couldn't play, and Magic had one of the best Finals games ever, 40 plus points and. Um, you know, 20 rebounds and, um, you know, just had an amazing game and, and brought the championship back for the uh, for the Lakers. Um, that sold last year for one point five million. That's wow. a jersey that prior to photo matching, prior to being able to say that this is the exact jersey, this is the exact moment in game that Magic Johnson wore this jersey. That jersey probably would have sold for, you know, maybe it would have gotten to six figures. Maybe it would have gotten to one hundred thousand. But we know that it was worn in Game Six of the NBA Finals when he had a historic game, and it went for 1.5 million. That's what photo matching can really bring to the table, and 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 you know, it is as far as collectors are concerned. Again, that's the gold standard. Yeah, well, yeah, makes sense. Appreciate those insights. So this particular jersey, again, before it was photo matched, sold for seventy-seven thousand three hundred dollars. It is now photo matched again, as evidenced by what we're looking at right here. I'll just kind of flip through these again. And uh, it's being offered on the collectible platform for $90,750. That's only a $13,000 premium since this sold unphoto matched uh, about eight months ago, nine months ago. I don't know, Chris, but $90,750, it does seem low to me. Uh, that's just my gut. It's I have no basis for that comment other than my gut feel on what a game more in LeBron jersey should be worth but I'm sure the people at collectible know better than I do and the market will definitely decide for themselves but um that is uh that is the final item we're going to look at zero percent of this is being retained by the consigner where again we're talking about this 2016 game used LeBron James jersey and um yeah that's a it's a pretty pretty cool piece it's in early access on the collectible platform. So if anyone is interested, head over there and you can pick up shares of this for $10 a piece. All right. Well, Chris, did you find anything on magazines before we wrap up? 
I did. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking about the Sports Illustrated. Obviously, you know, the, the 1954 uh, first issue, the rookie Sports Illustrated, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that's always sought after. There's a lot of them out there. Um, we did sell a CGC 9.8, which is the finest known um, copy of that. That went for just over $11,000 back in, uh, last year, 2021. Um, so this is, again, as we discussed, an emerging market. We also sold a 2002 Tom Brady uh cgc 9.8 um highest graded example that went for just under uh fourteen thousand dollars just a few months back so um again this is kind of you know what we touched on a little bit earlier with photographs you know it's it's an emerging market and um you know it's kind of got the hybrid between card collectors and memorabilia collectors and uh i think it's only going to continue to grow because you know these weren't uh these weren't printed to be saved in in top condition so there's very few very few left just like sports cards and comic books right on well appreciate some of those comps this is collectible has this on the platform at thirty-seven thousand five hundred. we'll see how it fills i i again it seems high to me but let's see what the what the collectible customers uh decide and uh in any event i would still love to own a copy but i think it's a beautiful display piece and uh so good luck to everybody who's gonna make a play at this one all right chris well listen i want i want to thank you for coming on great insights throughout the episode thanks for you know not only come that comes with uh your 30 30 or so years of experience or at least at least 20 in your current position so I want to thank you for coming on the show and I want to thank all the uh, all the questions and comments from the from the chat and I do apologize we didn't have time to get to a lot of your great questions so um, if you have any questions about heritage and how they run the business I did notice one on and one that came through you can go to their website it's been on the ticker the whole time and you can find out everything you need to know about their their terms and conditions and policies Chris final comment to you and then we're going to end this oh yeah so uh, thanks for having me um you know, we've got, like I, like we mentioned, uh, Platinum Night is live right now. You can go to ha.com and uh, and check it out. Everything we've talked about uh, is, is available for uh, for images and, uh, and item descriptions, and it's closing next weekend. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to break some records uh, with a few items. Uh, we've got a Babe Ruth bat as well, that I think is going to set a world record for a game-used bat. Um, so a lot of great stuff in there, a lot of great cards, great hockey material as well. Um, so that's all closing next Saturday and Sunday. So go check it out and uh, feel free to contact us uh, sports at ha.com. If you've got any questions about anything in the auction. All right. Well, good luck with the auction. And for anybody, again, it's ha.com slash sports for the, and you'll find their current platinum auction there. You can follow heritage sports on Twitter and Instagram at heritage underscore sport. You'll see that on the ticker right now. Joe Perot makes a comment. Love the depth of knowledge that Chris brings to the table. Thanks for the insights. Echoing my thoughts as well. Chris, thank you again. Hang tight right there, everybody. Or you hang tight right there, Chris. Everyone else, thanks for tuning in. No show next weekend as I will be in Burbank for the Burbank Card Show. But there will be one on the Wednesday after that and then Sunday after that again. So have a great week and a half or so ahead, everybody. We'll see you next time. Chris, hang tight. This episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.